Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. My co-host this morning is my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. This morning's show, we've got two separate topics, really. We were trying to think of timely topics to discuss this morning. I wanted to continue some discussions regarding bear markets and volatile markets and answering some of the common questions that we get at times like these. I always think that's helpful in times of uncertainty and market turbulence. But we also wanted to discuss Biden's debt relief plan. That's very timely. Just a couple of weeks that that details on that plan came out. And so I think we're going to go through that in some detail. I think that's a lot of really helpful information. So a two part show today. And I thought we would start with the debt relief plan just because I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through that. And does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All righty. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. I spent the majority of my morning reading up on that and part of last night as well. There's a lot to it, but yeah, I certainly think valuable information and something that a lot of people are are excited about. And this has been, I guess, a long time coming. We've been hearing about this for years. And, and so here we are. Yeah. So I got the majority of my information on the whitehouse.gov website. There's an article up. It's a fact sheet. President Biden announces student loan relief for borrowers who need it most. We also have some third party resources that we use, some research that we subscribe to that I helped that I read through and got some additional information there. All right. So I guess let's just dig right into Biden's plan. First of all, it it looks to me well. So the way that he's pushing this through is via executive order. So it's my understanding that this doesn't have to go through Congress. This is via executive order. And yep. if there are any politicians who disagree, want to fight it, oppose it, et cetera, they would have to use the court system, from what I understand, too, to fight this. But this is I, yeah. easier to. So very likely this is the plan. I don't know what changes we'll see. I'm sure we'll see some clarity on some of the there's some things that look like they need a little bit of clarity, but yep. looks for the most part, like this is it, unless there's a, unless any politicians use the courts to fight this. So yeah. Who needs legislators? I yeah. know. All right. I, I think I would just add, I think most people probably have heard the extent of what most people have heard <laughs> is that there's a $10,000 loan forgiveness plan. I think that, that's really, I don't remember just in the media without digging into it personally. I don't remember getting much more than that, but no. there's a lot going on in this plan. And I think it's, it's certainly worth the time to go over a bunch of it because there are a lot of questions that come out of it, with like who's eligible and all that stuff. And then there's other pieces of the plan that are other changes that were made over and above the loan forgiveness. They put yeah. a bunch in there and it's a lot of changes. So we should get through all that. Yeah. So it's broken down into three different parts. The first part goes over the loan forgiveness section, that $10,000 that you're referencing. Yeah. And but for, if first things first, just minor change is that there has been another extension on the federal loan forbearance. So loans have been in forbearance since what, March? March of 2020, 
March of 2020 March. executive order from President Trump. Yeah, so we're yeah. our second president of loan forbearance. So that was set to expire in just like right around now, mid-September, I think. And so now that's been extended through the end of the calendar year. Yep. I guess we've heard that word final extension on the forbearance before, <laughs> but this is again meant to be the final extension on the forbearance of student loan, federal student loans. So that's through the end of the calendar year. So payments are set to resume January 1, 2023. Yes. So under the forgiveness, loan forgiveness section, there's it's really twofold. So number Biden's proposal is forgiving $10,000 of federal student loans for those taxpayers that have income under $125,000 if you're a single filer. Or I believe they're anticipating that would apply to married couples filing separately. That's right. Yep. Or a married couple filing jointly, you're eligible for the loan forgiveness if your joint income is under $250,000. So this is intended to, they're not intending to offer this loan forgiveness to the higher income earners. So income earners over those limits, 125000 of income as a single person or 250000 as a married couple. They, it didn't look to me, I don't know what you found, but it didn't look to me like they had yet defined income but that they were expecting it to be adjusted gross income. There's different ways to gauge income, gross income, taxable income, adjusted gross income. Did you see any clarification on that? Are we still waiting on clarification on that? I did not. I heard the best guess is probably AGI, adjusted gross income. But yeah, as far as I know, this is so new that every time these pieces of legislation come out, there's always clarifications and usually the IRS gets involved. And so we're in the beginning stages here and there's going to be certainly some clarification. So when we, what we know, we'll let you know, but there are some things that are still TBD here, like a few assumptions, but it's definitely, there's going to be some, some further changes coming out. Yeah. It also looked like to qualify for those limits that the taxpayer can use tax year 2020 or 2021 from my my reading. It didn't look like you had to qualify for it's you qualify for, you have to be under that limit for one tax year, but not both, which is awesome for a lot of people that maybe had a gap in employment or lower income for 2020 versus 2021. So that will allow more people to qualify and have their income under that limit because just because of that unusual year 2020 related to the pandemic, of course. Yeah, that's what, yeah we had, there were some people who had significant drops in income, so they, it yeah. could work out very well for them. So that's $10,000 of loan forgiveness, again, for those taxpayers who have, who qualify and their income, we're assuming adjusted gross income, is under $125,000 in tax year 2020 or tax year 2021. Yep. And that's for federal student loans. That's not for private loans. This is the federal government and, the, and they're offering that forgiveness on federal student loans. So private loans do not fall under this forgiveness. Right. Yeah. There's a few gray areas with some, yeah, there's a, Yes, but for the most part, if you have private student loans, these are not going to. We should just to back up quickly. The limit is $20,000. The limit is doubled if you received a Pell Grant for any of your schooling, right? A Pell Grant is a a need-based, I think they may call it a loan, but it's actually a grant. It doesn't need to be repaid. So if you received a Pell Grant for school, the $10,000 limit goes up to 20,000. So just quick mention on that. I think everything else, 
all the other eligibility is identical, but if you were the recipient of a Pell Grant during your schooling, you get twice as much forgiveness if you're eligible. I, d- I did read that, and I also read that you don't necessarily... So first of all, most Pell Grants don't need to be repaid anyway. Most right. of them are actual grants, not loans. Yep. There are some unique circumstances where Pell Grants would need to be repaid, like I think if you didn't finish the semester or your eligibility changed or something like that. But from my reading, it looked like in order to qualify for the $20,000 of loan forgiveness, you don't necessarily have to have $20,000 of outstanding Pell Grants. You just had to be a recipient right. of a Pell Grant at some point in time. Is that, that was your understanding yeah, of it so as if well? You, if you, yeah, so it was Pell Grants plus, in, in, in that case, you would have had additional loans to be forgiven. Yeah. yeah, and I was reading up a little bit on Pell Grants and... There were some, oh, I don't have it in front of me, but there were some statistics regarding who was issued Pell Grants in the last several years. And it was, most of them were issued to people making under $60,000 a year. I think almost all of them were issued to people making less than 60000 a year and most of them to people making less than $30,000 a year. There yep. were some statistics on that, which I don't have right in front of me. But so really that is just meant to gauge the the people that need this forgiveness the most or generally would be the people that at one point in time had been eligible for a Pell Grant. And so those are the recipients that would be eligible for up to $20,000 of loan forgiveness. So there were some, and I don't know if we want to, should we just get right into the weeds? I feel like sometimes I delay getting into the weeds a bit, but let's just jump right in. (laughs) There were, so this wasn't weedy enough already. I know, I know, but let's get, we'll just nerd out a little bit. Sometimes I wait until after nine to get into that stuff, but let's just get right into it. So there were some, so apparently there was, so first off, as we just talked about, federal loans have been in forgiveness, forbearance, excuse me, since March of 2020, so a long time. But there were people that have, even though their loans were in forbearance, might have been making payments toward their loans in that period of time. So there is some sort of strategizing here to be done regarding if you have, for example, like if you had $10,000 of student loans a couple of years ago, and they went into forbearance, but what good financial position and just decided to pay down my loans. And you sent $5,000 over the last couple of years down to your loans. And now you only have $5,000 of loans left, for example. In that, for someone in that situation, if you only have $5,000 of loans right now, you're not eligible for the full 10,000 of forgiveness because you don't have 10,000 of loans. But if you had made payments to your loans in the period of forbearance, Apparently, you can request your money, your payments back and have your balance go higher by that same amount and then be eligible for the full. In that example, you would be eligible for the full $10,000 of forgiveness. So this is it's a strategy that doesn't sound like it's going to apply to a huge number of people because it has to be someone that has a relatively small amount of loans, right? If you had 50,000 in loans and you paid 10,000, you're not going to get your money back because you're going to be eligible for up to 10,000 anyway. So you have to have had a smaller, small amount of loans where now you're under that $10,000 limit, but you weren't before. And I don't know how many people are making payments on their loans during the period of forbearance anyway. I don't have this. Maybe that wasn't a ton of people. Yeah. Anecdotally, I didn't hear. Yeah. Almost everyone I talked to who had some loans were not making the payments because I think if you think back even to the election in 2020, 
this student loan forgiveness was a big deal. It was part of Biden's platform. And remember, it was like, oh, it was going to be $50,000. Right. So I think right. there are a lot, mo- most people who had loans, they tend to take, pay pretty close attention to this stuff. And so I don't think it was a lot. I'm going to guess yeah. it's going to be a very small subset of people that will be eligible for this particular strategy. But yeah. Hey, you got to throw it out there just in case. It, I know, because it's, it's nerdy to think about it, like that there's some strategies there to really take advantage of it. And you also have to be someone under that income limit. Right. Too, of course, you have to satisfy multiple criteria to be eligible for that strategy. But yeah, most people I know, especially with smaller amounts of debt or anticipating some help from the government and waiting to see how that would pan out for the last couple of years. Yeah. OK, but we had to nerd out for a few minutes on that. All right. Anything else on the on like the forgiveness section? So up to ten thousand. So ten thousand dollars of loan forgiveness on federal loans if your income is less than $125,000 for ca- for tax year 2020 or 2021. Yep. That's for a single filer, married filing jointly, it's double that $250,000 income limit. But I think that's like everything I had on that section. Anything else on that? Oh, and I'm sorry, $20,000 of loan forgiveness if you had at one point received a Pell Grant. I definitely have some, there are some there are some other maybe fairly low po- probability tax. We should get into a bit on the tax piece of this because there's a yeah. couple different pieces. A, we should just mention that for the most part, for debt that's forgiven is generally treated as taxable income. And normally, mm-hmm. if you have debt discharged, it is it's usually again. I know there are the tax code is very complicated, and there are lots of exceptions. But generally speaking, when you have debt discharged, it's treated as taxable income. However. It, Part of this, actually, no, it was the part of the American Rescue Plan. Yeah. Uh, based on that plan, any student debt that is discharged between now and 2025. The end, uh, tax is, year 25, yep. Yeah, yep. will not be tax. Oh, okay, so tax year 2025. I believe yep. it's tax year 2025. Um, not going to be taxable. Yeah. So this forgiveness will not be taxable. At least they said that federally. I don't know if obviously different states have different their own tax codes, but for the most part, you don't have to worry about the tax impact of this, especially if you have if you have a couple of different borrowers in the same family. That could be 20 grand. And if that was taxable, yeah. that might be a fairly significant taxable event to you, depending on what you're making here in 2022. Yeah. So. I, as far as I know, I looked into Massachusetts a little bit. As far as I know, under current law that would be taxable in Massachusetts. I don't know if Massachusetts will proceed and make an exception on that and align with the federal government and say that's not taxable. I haven't read anything about them proceeding in that regard, but I think as it stands right now in Massachusetts, that would be taxable, but at 5%. So if you're forgiven $10,000 in loans, your taxes on that are about 500 bucks. If mm-hmm. you're given, if forgiven $20,000 in loans, $1,000 in taxes on that. So relatively short money for the amount that's being forgiven. But I think as of right now in Massachusetts, it would be taxable. Yeah. Yep. I was also actually on this note, the debt. Okay. So <clears throat> the, the, there's a difference between, so first of all, students that are in school currently yep. are eligible but if they are eligible for the loan forgiveness, but if they are still considered a dependent of their parents, then it would be the parents' income that would determine eligibility. 
So there are some, yeah, there are some fine print there regarding whose income is going to determine whether or not uh, you're eligible for the forgiveness. So obviously someone who's not a dependent of their parents, it's based on their income. But for current, most current students are right, are still dependents of their parents. Right. It's based on who, whether or not their parents are providing at least 50% of their support, I believe. They're still considered dependents of their parents. So then it would look at the parents' income. Okay. So as if you think about it, if the parents, if they have multiple kids in school, even if they're eligible for the forgiveness, like if they have multiple kids in school and multiple loans and multiple kids' names, but they might only be eligible for the $10,000, even if they have multiple kids because of the kids are dependent. So there's some, there's a little bit of fine print there. It's not necessarily per student. It's based right. on the, t it's based on whether or not you're dependent of your parents or not. And yeah, and again, it's, it's okay. Okay. So there's also a provision that says that the forgiveness is it's on a per borrower basis. So parent plus loans, right. I know I'd gotten this question before parent plus loans are eligible. But again, because it's per borrower, if you had four kids and you have loans out yeah. for all of them and you qualify under all of the other criteria, you only, air quotes, yeah. only get $10,000 in forgiveness. Yeah, parent, but I was maybe surprised to see the parent plus loans were included, but indeed they are. Yeah. I also was reading that graduate school loans are included as long yep. as they're federal graduate school loans. So undergrad and graduate loans are included. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else on that? The next sort of section of the plan is the income based repayment section. Okay. Yeah. I have a few more things on this. I uh, let me get my notes up here. I, there was a few that I wanted to at least mention. Hang on. Oh, j just on on the private versus versus government loans. Mm. The date of eligibility was June 30th. So they use that. I, I can't imagine anyone consolidated their federal loans into a private loan. That's not true. I'm sure somebody out there did it, but it, it should have been probably fairly rare with what's going on that you especially would have gone to private. But it, Especially it after June of 2022. That's right. We're only talking about a few months because ago, but of, just in case. Yeah. It was someone who yeah. really wasn't thinking this was going to come down and they consolidated their federal loans into private loans. June 30th was the date. So again, mm. you can apply for forgiveness if you had federal student loans as of June 3rd. Sorry. Because there were so many little things in here. That so I'm many like, oh, little things. apply to many people, but I should at least mention it just because there are so many yeah. people out there who do have student loans. There were some interesting statistics on the document that I was looking on the whitehouse.gov website. Yeah. Nearly 90% of debt cancellation benefits will go to borrowers earning less than $75,000 per year. So they are really trying to target the yeah. the Americans that need it most. So it's like technically 80s, they're anticipating 87% of the benefit of the forgiveness, excuse me, will benefit people making less than $75,000 per year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of young people anyways, by yeah. definition of student loans. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I have, I don't know how much time we have left. I did want to mention minutes, on yeah. the yeah, the tax the taxable side of it because 2021 is the tax year, and there's a couple of potential strategies, right? So if you, if for whatever reason, if you're self-employed and you have not filed your tax return, and you might be eligible to do, say, a, a step IRA, mm. which has a which 
you know, reduces adjusted gross income deadline of, yep. of your tax filing. You could have extended to October 15th. And so you, in theory, could still, some taxpayers out there could reduce their income for 2021. Again, that's probably a very small subset. Yeah. If for whatever reason, if you haven't filed or I don't know if refiling works, you'd have I don't to know. check with a CPA on that. If you were self-employed, you didn't do a SEP contribution and your income came in at $130,000 of AGI. Would it be, could you refile, make a SEP, a SEP IRA contribution and bring down your taxable income? But technically, there's still a little bit of time to do that potential. Mm. And same thing for you may be able, I don't know, again, check with the CPA, but if you were, if you filed jointly, and maybe one one taxpayer has a lower income, you may be able to do married filing separately. There are obviously mm. be some potential penalties for that, but if, if it's a if it's something that you could do and it would qualify you, whereas otherwise you wouldn't, you may want to get on that again because we're talking about 2021 here. And technically there are some still some folks who could- Who have about four to five weeks before they have to right. file for 2021. Yeah. And who could, there's not that many things that reduce adjusted gross income, but if you happen to be self-employed and can make a retirement contribution for yourself, then yeah, that's one of those things that can. Also educator expenses, but I don't know how much those could possibly be and how much they could reduce your AGI back. You're listening to Mac. McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. We're talking about Biden's debt relief plan this morning, among other things. And we're just taking a break and we'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We are talking about, for the moment, Biden's debt relief plan, which he is, what's the word, enforcing via executive order. Um, Decreeing, maybe? I get a little, I'm not dictating executive power, Um, so um, makes me a little, makes my skin crawl a bit when I hear this (laughs) stuff, but. Having said that, it's. It's, I have a feeling most people support versus oppose this, but that would have been different if it was $50,000 of debt relief, not uh, what ended up being 10000 So, Yeah, I wonder what, I, <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting you said that. I've heard most more negative stuff, but I suppose it was, it's the source, right? If, you're, if you don't qualify, then maybe it's, maybe you're not as excited about it, but yeah, I don't know. I would have liked to. Actually, have you seen a price tag on it? I've not, I no. actually, the whitehouse.gov website, I don't think they had a price tag on it. I'll, actually... I think it said they're anticipating this to benefit 20 million Americans. Did you see okay. that as well? That's uh, a lot. Yeah. So if it's 20 million times 10,000 bucks. Yeah, I guess that's right. So the, and again, this doesn't include any of the other stuff, which all, I'm sure also is going to cost money. The, what was I, so for as far as eligible, should we talk about eligibility? I know that eligibility yeah. for the repayments, it's sort of, dovetails a bit with the income-driven repayment plan. But Mm -hmm. I should mention on eligibility, for those of you who are making 
income driven repayment plans and therefore are reporting income to the IRS, those are going to be processed automatically. So if you're already verifying your your income with the federal, I don't even know what part of the federal government oversees, probably the Department of Education. But probably. if you're already making those reports, you will be eligible automatically. And I think that's 8 million people, which okay. is a lot. So for a lot of for a lot of folks who are, are or were making loan repayments, this will all happen automatically because you're- You mean the income-based, the income-driven payments that they're talking so, about? Yeah, uh, because they're already reporting their income and they already- That's right. Yeah, a lot of- yeah. Again, I don't know what the I don't know what the numbers are as far as the breakdown. Many folks have have now have student loan repayment programs that are based on income, right? You, yeah. know, you, have, you pay fifteen percent of your discretionary income, yada. That all has to be reported annually, and so if you've done that for twenty twenty or and or twenty twenty one, and you're eligible, that that forgiveness will happen automatically because that data is already in place. Yeah, and I was- if you are not though, you are going to need to report it. I was reading that part of the enhancement under this plan is that for people making the income-driven repayments, they're not going to have to recertify annually. Is that, oh, is that right? I think that's one of the changes that I was reading about. I can't remember <laughs> if I saw that on the White House document or... Are they going to actually get the data from I don't know if they're the going to get the data from the IRS. Gonna, I don't yeah. know if the... I don't know if they're that sophisticated there in terms of reporting capabilities, but I, part of this under the income driven section, part of the thing was making it logistically and administratively easier for people yeah. to qualify. There, I was reading that there was all sorts of problems in the past under the old system in terms of you know, it was very difficult for people to get qualified for the income driven repayments and the recertification process annually is a pain or not easy. But I think part of this whole plan is simplifying that for people. And I'm pretty sure I read that they were anticipating that you that people making those income driven repayments wouldn't have to recertify oh. annually. I didn't see that one. That was good. That's good to know. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, and that also God, applies to the public service <laughs> loan forgiveness as well. So I know that yeah. they there's a I don't know if you're going to talk about you know I don't want to spend a ton of time of that but yeah, there's been all kinds of administrative issues with public service loan forgiveness. That's for those of you who don't know, if you work in certain qualifying fields that are deemed almost like public utilities, right? So if you're a, if you're what a teacher in like an underserved neighborhood, there's yeah. the, the actual qualifications for it. You'd have to you'd have to look up. It. But if you're in, people in those fields have had a heck of a time actually qualifying for that loan forgiveness, and yeah, this part of this plan is also aimed to to clean up some of that going forward and even retroactively. So mm-hmm. that was which is nice because there was some statistic out probably goes back years, like some 90 plus percent of the public service loan forgiveness applications were being rejected. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, was, that may have been just first time rejections, but it's been, it even made it into, into financial planning conference oh, did sessions, it? training oh. sessions. I heard about it over in any, yeah. any of the public studio. The student loan thing is it's, you have to make sure you get those payments right and get them exactly right and make sure you stay on track. Otherwise your, your public service loan forgiveness application is going to be rejected. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to work on that as, as part of this legislation. As and well. so as part of this legislation, there's a deadline of October 22nd, right? For those, pub, those mm-hmm. people in public service that are hoping for that forgiveness after 10 years. Yep to to sub, to receive credit for like lump sum payments or late payments i guess normally that wouldn't have factored into the calculation and under the old system but they're allowing this month what six week period of time where right. people in public service that have these one off 
lump sum payments to to apply and get credit for those toward their 10 years of payments. But there is a clock ticking on that. I was reading that it's this October 22nd. Yes. Yeah, um, there's, yeah it's tight on time. But yeah. The, yeah. But the potential benefit of it for those yeah. of you who are working in public service is substantial. Yeah. They, there were these weird administrative things where if you missed your, if you were under on your payment, you have to make all these payments mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah. You have to be in good standing with your loans. And if you missed, if you missed one payment by a dollar, they would, they didn't qualify. They didn't and if you count that month or whatever. Yeah. And if you sent in three months at a time and wanted to get ahead of things. It only counted it, for one it, month. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It counted for yeah. one month. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there was, again, it's, we're talking about a small subset of people that might be eligible, but the but potential benefits of it, if you are, if you or someone is in public, is in public service and does have some federal student loans, make sure that they check out the uh, the details on this one. Yeah. I'm assuming there's a website where they can log in and see history and months of credit or something. I actually didn't read about that. Did you read anything about for these people in public service that are looking for the 10 year forgiveness no, after 10 but, years? I, mean, I, I don't know, I know how that easily the, the information is available. Yeah. The public, the websites, and this is going back to my experience with student loans. I think they had certainly improved by the time we paid by the time we paid Suzanne's off but that was probably five years ago now so my guess is that the records now are better right and I know that the servicers they have you all have your login and they have your different loans and they should have a loan history on it and it may not be super easy they may not be the the, the slickest websites it's even if you have to make a phone call on it I would certainly do it because it's going to be worth it for you yeah a couple other things on the income-based repayment so if Borrowers have an original loan balance of $12,000 or less. The loan, the loans are forgiven after 10 years of payments, not 20 years. Used to okay. be is this, the, this is the new income driven plan? This is the new income driven plan. Yep. Okay. Was the prior, under the prior law, it was after the loans were forgiven after 20 years of payments. Now it's, this is for people with pretty small balances though. If the original loan balance is less than $12,000. Okay. And if you make income driven payments, which now have a cap of 5% of your income monthly, prior cap was 10%. So so the cap on the monthly payment under these IRD or income, sorry, IDR, (laughs) income driven repayment plans is now 5% (laughs) of your income monthly, not 10 but you're, also you're thinking of income in respect of income in respect of a decedent, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is like something that hardly ever comes up in my life, but it's just ingrained in my head from prior CE and tax courses. Anyway, IDR. So people with small balance, and this is again a great way to encourage people to be financially responsible and choosing where they're going to receive their education, taking out yep. as little loans yep. as possible. So people with original balances of twelve thousand dollars or less, so pretty small amount of loan balances compared to the averages anyway. If they can make in, if they make income driven repayments for ten years, those balances are forgiven. Also under this new plan. That's only so for people who came out of school with yeah. under twelve thousand dollars. That's a pretty small. Subset. It's a pretty okay. small subset of people, but yeah. it's going to encourage people to go to community colleges yeah. and things like that. Yeah. It's going to encourage people to think differently about where they receive their education, or at least I think that's part of the intent. Makes sense. And I guess I was reading some t- statistics that that this will be the Department of Education estimates that that particular part of this reform will allow nearly all community college borrowers to be debt free within ten years. Okay. So I think, I don't know, I think that's probably their way of encouraging people to utilize community colleges versus other institutions where it makes sense. I mean, part of of the 
criticism that if, if you just listen to political talk, part of the criticism about the loan forgiveness was that it doesn't really address the problem of people right. borrowing too much. And, sure. and so it's nice to hear that this certainly seems like a, hey, instead of going to a four-year college, if I just go to my community college, I'll, I'm not going to, you know, I think a lot of people have been pushed into four-year colleges, a whatever it is, social pressure, or and it's not certainly not for everybody. And the people who end up worse for it are people who aren't aren't ready for it and end up with debt and no degree. You're sitting there with forty grand in debt, when, but really nothing to show for it. If that this does help, it seem like it addresses that. Which hey, sounds great to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Also, under the the new plan for this income-driven repayment plan, it looks like. Interest. So if your income driven repayment doesn't even cover the interest on your loan, interest will not be accruing, which was not the case formerly. You're under the former income driven plans, your loan balance could just grow. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, I guess they're eliminating that where even if your income based payment is lower than the interest, the, your loan balance won't grow. Which is, if you think about the, if you think about the life cycle of someone who has student loans, so I know you, you come out of school, you probably are in your lowest earning, earning years. And if you're making, if you're, if 5% of your income or whatever, whatever the percentage is in your given income driven repayment plan is not covering your interest or you have a huge balance, you could be having negative amortization. Your loans are actually growing. And then fast forward five years or however many number of years until your income starts to really spike up, you're then paying more back. Right. That's, that can be a huge benefit to people, especially if you end up in, in the higher income ranges as, as your loan balance, as your loans are still there. So that's, yeah, I made note of that because that certainly sounds like it's going to be helpful. For yeah, a bunch of folks. that would be a fun one to spreadsheet, like thinking about people that have, wouldn't that be a fun? It's a moot point now because the interest won't yeah. be accruing, but it would be fun to spreadsheet the advantages of that for people that have large amounts of debt that went to graduate school or something or right. medical school or whatever and have large amounts of debt where they, the first few years that they carry it and they're not making much money. Their an interest on $200,000 of debt can really grow that balance quite a bit. So that would be a fun one to spreadsheet the benefit of that for certain people. I'll do that another day. Yeah, it's good. It would be, it it certainly makes sense for planning as well, though. It would give people the flexibility to say, all right, this job over here may have more upside for my career. And if I'm not saddled with a huge, a huge repayment of my student loans, I can afford to do that now while I, while I try to boost my earnings later. Interesting. I didn't read up under the income driven plans. I didn't read up on eligibility of that because has, that has not yet been defined. Is that right? I don't know. I think my sense of it was that you could just opt into an income-driven plan. Okay. And the way that they work is it's, you know, because they're based on income, folks who choose a plan and then they end up being higher income, they just end up paying off. Yeah. They pay actually pay off their loans. Whereas if you're in a plan and you end up in a lower paying work, then eventually there's forgiveness at the end. But for the folks who are, I don't know that they have eligibility per se, because just of the way the system works, it doesn't really, it doesn't benefit higher earning, higher earners all that much anyway, because the payments that they are forced into end up paying back their loans. It's not like under 20, under 125 grand is, is eligible, but this person is not. Yeah. Okay. That's my understanding. I just, I found a chart regarding comparing income-based repayments, former income-based repayments with the new income-driven repayment plan with the pay-as-you-earn, the former pay-as-you-earn plan. And there was just some 
on all of the existing plans, there was some information on borrower eligibility oh. regarding, I guess it's mostly regard. No, there's a section on loan eligibility and borrower eligibility. And under the new income driven repayment plan, it says to be determined regarding borrower eligibility. So I don't know if they're going to flesh that out a little bit more, but yeah, maybe it's, okay. maybe that's not an issue. Maybe that's like under the former income-based repayment plan, borrower eligibility, all direct student loan borrowers with a partial financial hardship. Oh, okay. Oh, under okay. that former pay-as-you-earn plan, all direct student loan borrowers with no loans before 2007 who have a partial financial hardship. So I don't know if there's going to be any clarification on who can qualify for this income, the new income-driven repayment plan, which has these benefits of, again, not accruing interest if the income-driven payment is less than the interest and the cap of 5% of monthly income versus the prior cap of 10% of monthly income. I, again, I just, what I don't know yet, I haven't found in any of my reading is if there are eligibility requirements for that. So maybe that's to be determined. Okay. Anything else on that, the income-based repayment, that's... That section, that's all I had for my notes on that section. Yep. You covered everything for me. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess the last section from what I was reading again on the White House website was these th the three components of this plan, which is the forgiveness, the income-driven repayments, and then, I don't know what they call it here, but Biden's effort to control the cost of education moving forward. Okay. And I didn't find a ton of detail on that other than he, I just, there, there's just some reference to working with educational institutions to control their costs moving forward. They're, they're going to, I don't know if it's the Department of Education or whoever is going to be producing a watch list of schools that produce the most amount of debt. There'll be some reports coming out in the near future regarding statistics about which schools are producing students with the most amount of debt. And, yeah. and so I guess just more information to allow people to make better decisions regarding where they receive their education. So I didn't see a lot of detail on that other than there's some initiative for, in terms of helping to control costs going forward. I, Biden wants all community colleges to be free. I don't know <laughs> what the reality of that is. And there's just yeah. sort of some references to working with schools to control costs, but there wasn't a lot of detail on that. I don't know if you read any detail on I, that. You know what? I didn't even notice. I didn't, maybe I didn't even read up on that piece of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think I feel like we've been talking about this for so yeah. long, right? I, you would have thought that, I don't know how, I haven't, I don't have recent numbers on how much education costs have gone up, but it still seems, it still seems like they're going up and they haven't turned around and started going back down. So I'm not sure if it's going to help, but I think they're trying to do anything that they can. Yeah. Are, it's a very strange system and I don't know. I wish I had more on it. I feel like I've been talking about this for 20 years. I know. It, we've been talking about the rising, how we're going to battle the rising cost of education for our entire careers. Yeah. yeah. There's just a <laughs> section on the whitehouse.gov, do, this document here. Yeah. That, that, again, this is like their three-part initiative. One, the, one, the forgiveness. Two, the income-driven repayments. And three, protecting future students and taxpayers by reducing the cost of college and holding schools accountable when they hike up prices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hold on, skip, skip. To further reduce the cost of college, the president will continue to fight to double the maximum Pell Grant and make community college free. Meanwhile, colleges have an obligation to keep prices reasonable and ensure borrowers get value for their investments. 
not debt they cannot afford. This administration has already taken key steps to strengthen accountability, including in areas where the previous administration weakened rules. The Department of Education is announcing new efforts to ensure student borrowers get value for their college costs. That's what I mean by that's very... um, that sounds lovely. There's just not a lot of, there's just yeah, not yeah. a lot of detail there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think yeah. Just like the market forces of how important a college education is to the minds of a lot of people. And then especially it's driven by, hey, if you want to go to an elite school, yeah. they have a lot of market power and pricing power and they can be, you can charge. I don't even know what it is. I think I heard it's 80 or 90 grand a year for one of those for BU or something like <laughs> Last that. Last time now. I looked at BU, it was like 85,000 a year. And, and NYU, I think was... 90 yeah. or more than 90,000 a year this past this past year. Yeah, it's, that's, it's unreal. But yeah. And, and mm-hmm. hey, if everyone wants to go there, it's those schools have are not lacking for applications. So it's that's I don't know true. how exactly I appreciate any attempt to reduce the cost of college. And I think relying more on community college is probably a great idea for lots and lots of folks. And but I think they're I think they're just chipping away at, at a much larger problem. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm reading a little bit more on this White House document, but yeah, but honestly, I feel like my entire career has been like, we've seen little things unfold in the last couple of decades regarding trying to control the cost of education, but really nothing has ever in the 20 years that I can remember anyway, really, we haven't seen any major changes to the cost of education. This White House document actually says that the cost of a college education has tripled since 1980, even after factoring in inflation. Yeah. Which is, that's insane. But I can remember at least a decade ago reading some articles about how institutions were starting to work with community colleges to provide, like collaborate, right? They, private institutions and community college were collaborating, right? Where students could get their degree from a private institution, but take some classes at a community college, lower the overall cost of their education, but get their diploma from the more well-known institution. And I remember thinking this is going to change the way, this is going to change the cost of education. This is a brilliant idea. And we haven't really seen that. We haven't really seen that happen. And, but yeah. I I can just, speaking this, again, this is anecdotal and just from working with clients for a long time. If they, it's it's such a great idea because the, the cost of community college is so reasonable that it certainly makes sense to at least try to strengthen that program, I think anyway. I've talked to clients in the past who will have a 529 and they, they say, oh, the kid's going to do community college for a couple of years or whatever the number is. And I'll say, oh, you can take that money out of your 529. But the payments are so small that they just are like, it's fine, whatever. It's $1,200 yeah. for yeah. This, this course or that course. And so it's very reasonable as compared to four year, especially elite private colleges. So I'm all for that. If they can strengthen that institution, I feel like they should try because it seems like a, as long as the education that you're getting there is is valuable, the uh, the value of it and relative to the price is substantial. Yeah. And I wonder if the amount of jobs available in the trades, for example, or will maybe yeah. start to swing things, right? 10, yeah. 15, 20 years ago, maybe going into the trades maybe wasn't as desirable because people thought they couldn't make as much money or, but I think that's changed. Maybe everyone thought they, many people thought they needed a degree to make a good living, but it seems like that has swung a little bit. And now there's a need for people going into the trades where you don't need a four-year college degree. And it seems like there's a lot of job opportunities there and can make pretty good money yeah. in the trades. We could use and- a few more contractors if the ability to get a contractor is an indication. Yeah, so I just wonder if that's a swing, that will swing things in the right direction. But 
Anyway. Hopefully. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. We just have a couple minutes, but. Should we, make, yeah, I, we can do a quick, a quick summary yeah. on, on student loan forgiveness. So it's $10,000 per borrower, right? Yep. Uh, eligibility, 125000 if you're single, two fifty if you are married. One of the other high points, maybe head pal, the $10,000 is doubled. Let's see. We, we talked about some. Income-driven yeah. repayments. The, the cap is now 5% of your monthly income, not 10%. Yeah, and public service loan forgiveness. They're trying to simplify that as well. Check into it if you have a if you have potentially eligible loans. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on and do some market related stuff after the break. That was Biden's debt relief plan. Good stuff there. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, joined today by my brother Justin McNamara. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We are just taking a break, and we'll be right back. 